the advice of you need to marry a Christian is bad advice because it actually has nothing to do with whether your marriage is going to succeed or fail. The divorce rates in the Christian community are just as high as those who aren't. So it has nothing to do with that. Now, what I will say is, is that people that share the same worldview and the same value system, back to your point of the triangle, and are willing to be vulnerable and willing to try to be a better human, and they're willing to pray together, that's the important part. Their marriages will succeed. Almost 20 years ago, our paths crossed in the sneaker world. And since then, we've been on a professional and personal journey together. We've made a lot of mistakes and had a lot of fun, and even a few wins along the way. Our goal is to share our experiences and insights so you don't have to make some of the same errors that we did. And in addition, we want to help you begin to think about things a little different. So join us as we unpack our unsolicited and sometimes polarizing views on business, faith, and family questions that make you want to unfollow. AP, 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 we are here, episode six. We're going to talk about marriage. Yes, it's exciting because, I mean, six episodes is pretty much a record for me making podcasts. Six of anything is pretty much a record for any amount of duration for me. So I'm, I'm excited, man. Good feedback on last episode, Um, the stories, the vulnerability, I think huge, huge props for all the sharing, cows, cars, and fatherhood. So um, the only way to even raise the bar on that is to really get into the muck and mire of our country's and our world's favorite subject, marriage. (laughs) You ready? (laughs) Uh, Let's try not to get divorced tonight, okay? I'm going to try hard, but uh, you know. We might need to take up a GoFundMe for uh, marriage therapy after this after this episode. Uh, they call that counseling. Oh, yeah, I need that too. <laughs> How long have you been married? Ten years? Yeah, it'll be ten years this October. Ten beautiful, flourishing, thriving years of marriage. <sighs> Did you hear that, honey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said that. Um, it will be 17, well, it was 17 years for us. June 21st. It's crazy. Like when we said 17 years, I felt old. That's a long time. I mean, you guys are like teenagers in marriage. Um, So you guys have learned a lot. So maybe this episode, I should just be learning and gleaning from you at the feet of this wise sage, Daryl Calfee, uh, the Messiah of marriage who has learned so much. So our primary babysitter, her name is Peyton. We absolutely like love, adore her. Like she's part of our family. So she comes over to watch the kids on our anniversary night. And we're going to go out uh, on a, like an evening boat ride at the lake. So she comes over and we said, Peyton, we were married 17 years ago today. How old were you? And she's sitting across the table from Easton at that time. And she goes, "Mm, I was six. Easton is six. And she was staring right at her. And I was like, so you were Easton's age the day that we got married, which is absolutely crazy, man. That is crazy, man. They say time flies when you're having fun. Hopefully you guys have had 17 years of some amazing well, times. It's been interesting. I wouldn't say fun has always been the best Ooh, adjective. Ooh, interesting. Let's talk about that. So marriage, we could go anywhere. So I guess let's start with a story. What's your, give us your, I don't know if you want to go epic fail 
or the day you were the hero and the knight in shine, shining armor. Something tells me you've got some pretty good epic fails um, knowing your track record. Yeah, so I was trying to think of a great way to start this conversation tonight. And I would start it by saying that Johanna and I were both children of the church, meaning that Joe was a pastor's kid, so PK. My grandfather is a pastor. And so you would think... Of all the people in this world that grew up in these Christian homes, we would have been the perfect pair to get married, and we would have had all the premarital counseling in the world, and we would just be the best, perfectly matched people right out the gate, and that would be false. (laughs) Wrong answer. So you walked into marriage after years of living in a Christian community, with zero tools for success. And lots and lots and lots of baggage. Ooh, let's let's talk about that baggage. Yeah, so uh, Johanna and I both came into our marriage with sexual baggage. Um, and I would say we also came into our marriage with church baggage. Um, so neither one of those things were really addressed before we got married, meaning that we didn't have premarital counseling. And what you'll hear me say today about premarital counseling is that It must talk about three things, sex, money, and family. And if it doesn't go deep on those three things, then it's not worth your time because those are going to be the three things throughout the life of your marriage that you argue about, sex, money, and family. The goal is to keep it to two. You can get that to just two. You can likely make it. So I reflect on us. So we've married 10 years. We were blessed. We had a, um, a very good family, um, mentor and counsel us the six months leading up to our marriage. Uh, Mom and Pop Clemens, what we called them. They were uh, ministers in the church they were at at the time. I remember, you know, we had to go to their house for sessions for, you know, six months of just scriptures. And then we had, you know, kind of pray and then kind of unpack stuff. And I remember the last session, you know, because it I don't say it got a little heated. It got a little challenging, right? I mean, we kind of were dealing with stuff. Hey, how do you talk and what do you expect? And I remember Mom Clemens looked at Alicia and said, well, honey, do you still want to get married? <laughs> I was like, what? Hold on. I thought this marriage council thing, you're supposed to like, you're supposed to be prepping me. This is like the the, the, the pit stop before we get in, right? And it, of course, you know, she, uh, but she challenged us, man. I, I, I think we were grateful that we had it. Um... It gave us at least language and some tools to have a common um, kind of skill set for unpacking all the stuff. I mean, we face planted more often than not. But, yeah, I I think I found it. We were very similar because we both came into our marriage with so much crazy drama in our previous relationships. I mean, just like scandalous horror stories of like. He did what, and she did this, and then who, and then that had a kid, and then this. I mean, this the most crazy stories that maybe I'll uh, you know type up in my memoir someday. And so when you bring that to a relationship, but you're trying to a honor God, but hey, do it the right way. And I put that in quotations, meaning hey, like we know we've messed up before. Here's how to do it right. You bring a lot of your um, that insecurity comes with you, and then I think unless you kind of deal with some of that. Um, it's hard, you know, for it, it was really hard for us that first probably year or two after we got married, just unpacking the history yeah. and the past of that. Man, well, I think 
because I saw some of your early relationships that I can affirm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> I can affirm without a doubt that Alicia is by far the best. Like, amazing. Um, but, yeah, there were, some, there were some early missteps there, I think. AP. Like, my, my, like, you know, superhuman mutant power. Like, picking, picking the worst match of relationships or the wrong time and then going all in. Right. And so every time I had like a serious girlfriend, it was marriage. Like it was, oh, yeah, we're getting married. We just assume we're getting married. I reflect on some of the like the bad advice I got on marriage. Most of the bad advice I got on marriage was actually before I got married. I remember I was uh, dating a young lady at the time and it was just drama. Like the relationship was just so like every week was just like a chore to like make it. And like, you know, every conversation was an argument. Uh, every interaction, there was like this tension. I remember um, I was going over a house, it was like a cookout or something like that. So, you know, like when you're having an argument, but it's like at a public event or a gathering, it's the worst because you kind of got to like, you can't just act like you're pissed, but you really are. And I remember somebody pulling me aside, um, a family member of mine. And I remember he kind of shared his story. He was like, you know what? Marriage is tough. Sometimes it's miserable. Um, you just got to suck it up. And some days you're going to hate each other. Some weeks you're going to hate each other. You just got to just not give up. Now, I remember looking at him and looking at his marriage and thinking, oh, I don't want that. I don't want it. I don't want that marriage. I don't want that life. And I remember if that is what marriage is going to be, then I'm not sure I'm supposed to be married because like, I just can't do it. And I remember... Um, you know, what I started to do was I traded my original vision for marriage for the lie of someone else's reality. And the lie of his reality was that, yeah, marriage was miserable. Um, and the lie of a lot of our friends and family, and they're in miserable marriages that they either dysfunctional or they're functionally ineffective. Meaning it's, you know, we're, we're existing together, but we're not thriving or, or flourishing. And I remember, like, it took a lot, took months of, like, um, getting that kind of seed out of my head before I would just break break it off and say, you know what? It doesn't matter what I'm going to do. I'm not doing this. And then I don't think I didn't date for maybe almost a year after that. Like I literally did not date single guy in Texas, which I was told when you move back to Texas, you have to get married because Texas guys get, you know, that's what you do when you're in Texas. I didn't date for a year, like no dates. I just focused on, you know, trying to just get back into some kind of semblance of sanity uh, getting back into the word, spending time with my family, working on my business. I just didn't do it. And so I thank God for those challenges. But man, I mean, I, I think I went bald during that time. I had hair I remember that. before that. Well, uh, so I would add to that that I think the bad advice that I received was to marry a Christian. Right? Oh, I love that. Tell so me more. The, Tell the me advice more. of marry a Christian was that as long as someone is a believer in Jesus, that your marriage is going to be okay. And that's false, right? So what I think the better advice would have been would have been, hey, first of all, you need to be a healthy human being. So let's focus on you being a healthy human being, not the person that you're going to enter a relationship with. But let's focus on you being a healthy human being. Then we want you to find another healthy human being that shares your worldview and your value system. Let's do that instead of the phrase, marry a Christian. Because, man, I can tell you there were so many dudes that would bring a girl to church or a girl that would bring a dude to church, and they'd be like, I just can't wait till he becomes a Christian, and then we can get married. 
That is the problem right there. You are trying to unite yourself for the rest of your life with somebody that you're already like off the bat kind of struggling with and you're just waiting on them to like commit to something so that then it's okay. I think the better point of view would just say, hey, you really need to find somebody that you match up well with in these areas, but you need to be healthy before you enter that relationship. And I think that's the misstep that we make, right? Like we're trying to find the right person instead of be the right person. And I think if you were to look back at you and I at 20 years old, right? Like we had to move into that space of maturing enough to say, hey, I want to be the right person. I want to be an asset to somebody else for the rest of their life. I think some of the best advice came from people that were the worst example because they could share their cautionary tale. So in business, some of the guys who, you know, were kind of workaholics and hugely successful, but had divorces, I was like, you know, multiple divorces. I remember um, early in my career, uh, this guy just pulled me aside and said, dude, the only thing I can tell you, this is my best marriage advice. It's okay. I'm, I'm listening. He said, just choose wisely. It's like, what do you mean? Like, choose wisely. Like, if you know you want to have kids, maybe ask the woman you're going to marry if she wants to have kids. Like, ding, 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 like the basics, right? And so, you know, like, and those are things that sometimes we, we literally do not have conversations about family expectations, you know? And I remember um, some advice I got uh, from another coworker, uh, you know, was, you know, a paved road is easier to travel on. I remember I was like, what does that mean, dude? Like, break it down. I'm, I'm you know, I'm a, I'm, I'm a Texan. Um, but what he was saying was like, if you can do the prep work going into the marriage, like that, that, that kind of that leading up to it, how you date, level setting expectations, how you save your money before you get married, uh, how you pay for your wedding and your honeymoon, how you set that foundation over the first couple of years. He was saying like, that sets such a uh, foundation and expectation because, you know, you don't choose your circumstances. So you don't control what, you know, with the external factors that happen to your life or a job or sickness and health. I mean, we, we take the vows, we take the vows, but you always have a choice in how you respond. And I think the ability to kind of level set expectations is what uh, it sounds good up front. I can't say I did it well. I think the, the first couple years of our marriage were spent just missing expectations. We, I feel like we were just kind of. You know, we both had visions of what we wanted from a spouse, but we forgot to trade notes. And so I think we were operating, you know, on on autopilot. Like, of course, she's going to do this. And of course, she'll do that. Or of course, he'll do that. And I reflect on, you know, that our first year, I felt um, I can reflect now. I didn't have the emotional intelligence at all at, you know, 30 years, 10 years ago. So when I was uh, 30 to know this, but I didn't have the emotional intelligence to know that I was really insecure or maybe there was jealousy and not jealousy of a guy. It was more of like, I felt like um, she was really all about the idea of living the married life. And at times I feel like that was bigger than the marriage. Like she wanted to like do her thing and like, you know, I'm married now and you know, you got to do girls things and then you got to go shopping for the new place. And then you got to like, like she was so busy, like being the married wife. That like the marriage became like the I felt that way. Right. And I, I don't think she would say she did that. But I remember harboring such resentment um, and insecurity about that. And I didn't know how to talk to her and say, like, hey, I'm hurt or, hey, I feel lonely when you do this. Like those are things like I don't have the I don't have the I didn't have the language. And I didn't have the uh, the honesty intellectually or emotionally to even have that conversation. Yeah. Right. 
I mean, it was tough. Now hold on to that right there, that that resentment. I'm going to use the word contempt, and that's going to be a bit of foreshadowing for later in our conversation tonight. Contempt. Just hold on to that word. Um, I would say that the other piece of bad advice that I received was don't have uh, sex before marriage. So don't have sex before marriage was bad advice because it told me or the people told me that if I didn't have sex that before marriage that I would have se- amazing sex after marriage. Is that not how it works, though? That is not how it works. <laughs> it's not guaranteed. A good sex life in your marriage takes hard work, like straight up. It takes hard work. It takes hard conversations. It takes awkward conversations. And that was a big area for us that Johanna and I had to kind of really work at and, and unpack. Like I said, we came into our marriage with baggage and people would say, oh, well, you know, if you hadn't had sex before marriage, like you wouldn't have had that baggage. No, what I would tell you is, is that things that happened in our lives and the roads that we went down before, they can always be redeemed 100 percent. Right. Like we are believers in a redemption story. So that's not necessarily true. What I will tell you is, is that as a married couple for 17 years, you're going to change your likes, your dislikes, your expectations, like all that's going to change. And so I've been literally with the same woman now for over 17 years. And I can tell you that the people that we were sexually when we got married and the people that we are sexually today are two different, two different people. Now, let me give you hope. Let me give you hope is that it gets better, right? But it only gets better with hard work. And what I mean is, is like putting in the time to really talk to your partner about, hey, here's how I feel affirmed or man, I love this about you. Or also like, look at yourself. And I know we talk about this all the time. I know in church we say, you know, sex within marriage is the only place that it's meant to be. Right. But what we, we don't talk about is what holy sexuality looks like inside of a marriage. Right. And when two people are working to serve each other, that is when like sexuality or sex inside of a marriage is awesome. But man, when, when one person's just trying to get their thing on, right? Like that's again, just selfishness. And like, we see that time and time again, I know dudes all day long right now that are struggling sexually in their marriage. And I will tell you it's because they are so focused on self that like they can't get past that. Yeah, that was, that's a strong word. I think as men, a, because of how, um, we come into our own sexuality, right? Whether it's, you know, pornography way early in life or whether it's, hey, like you're so hyper sexually active or before marriage, you bring all that um, to, to marriage. And like it's it's a it's a hand grenade of missed expectations of like soul trauma. Um, and I think it's become so normalized, though. It, it seems like, oh, yeah, that's just kind of how how it works. And I remember for us specifically, you know, going through the idea of like sex as a duty or sex as a chore. Right. Um, hey, this is a hey, this is your this is your act of, you know, love and submission, you know, um, versus the idea of this. You know, it's not this uh, being intimate physically is intimate emotionally. I remember, you know, Alicia having to like, hey, she's like, hey, dude, I'm a. I'm a I'm a oven, not a microwave. That, that that was her thing. Like, hey, like if you want really good loving, it starts. Hey, how'd you greet me in the morning? Did you have a smart comment when I told you, you know, X? 
How'd you respond to me while we were watching TV? Or, hey, when we talked, had that budget conversation, like, what did you do? It's like, and you forget that. Because I think, you know, when you're dating and, you know, you're headed to the altar, you know, everything works. And I think when you get into that, the rituals and the routines of marriage, it just requires a different kind of formula. And then, of course, you add kids. And there's always these milestones, right, where, you know, I, I think for us, I mean, for me, you know, you come in and, you know, you take the little marriage quiz and well, how many times a week do you want to have sex? Well, I don't know, every day. Okay, let's maybe let's meet at like three. Okay, and okay, that'll, and I think it was like a formula versus uh, living it in a, a position of submission to somebody as well. But I think it, and, but nobody talks about that. Like, there's not a single church. There are barely books about that. There are barely really podcasts about that that take it from a, I'd say, a Christ-centered perspective, meaning that like, God created sex. God created like good sex. Like God's a fan of amazing sex, right? Yeah. And so it's like, but we don't ever talk about that um, in, in our homes or in our churches. So I think there's a responsibility for us to unpack that share that candidly, but also share that in a way where other couples or other people who are, who are dating and about to be married can start to like really level set expectations. Dude, that was so much bad advice. What's some good advice that you have to give yourself 20 years later? Man, some of the best advice I'd give myself is what I heard uh, maybe a few years ago was kill her scorpions, kill her scorpions. There will, there will be small things in her life that you think she's overreacting to, you don't think it's a rational response, you just don't get it. She's too emotional, she's too this. It doesn't matter. Hmm. She's your woman, she's your wife, you're gonna be with her, you, you submit to her, you put her first, kill her scorpion. So take away those little things that make such an uh, outsized and uh, very impactful thing. A good example for Alicia was like, so I grew up, I'm one of six kids. I grew up in a house full of eight people South side of Fort Worth, Texas. The way we say I love you is we name call. We high side, like, hey, you baboon butt, monkey boy, um, Sasquatch. Like, that's how we greet each other at, when we get together. Like, if you're a Parker, like, we, we send the worst memes to each other. That's how we say we love each other, right? So I grew up. Dude, I can totally years. hear Nick and Tim doing that. <laughs> Like, the moment they walk in the door, that's how they greet you. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's literally how we interact on a regular basis. And it's all in love, right? But it's, it's, like, it's, it's like the Wayans brothers, right? Um, but for my wife, though, uh. she grew up in a very different environment. And I remember mm-hmm. her saying, hey, I'm kind of sensitive. Like, I, I, don't, I just don't appreciate that. I remember it took me, like, several times when she had to, like, really blow up at me to say, like, I told you I don't like that. So for me, right, her scorpion was sensitive to being made fun of. Like, did not appreciate that piece. So for me, I didn't get it. For me, of course, I know the intent wasn't negative. I, you know, it was a fun thing. But, you know, is it worth it? So best advice I received was just kill her scorpion. Like, don't don't make her feel bad about it. Come in. Kill it. Remove it. Take it out of your life. Take it out of your house. Take it out of your marriage. And just do it. Like, yeah, you can be right. But is it worth it? That's good. Kill the scorpion. Um, For me, it would just be the simple fact that you're not going to be married in heaven. Ooh. Man, I wish I could like huddle myself up at 23 years old and say, come here, D, come here, come here, come here, come here, come here. Just so you know, before you walk down this aisle and say, I do, you're not going to be married in heaven. Got it? Go. 
And the the takeaway from that is, is like you say, well, man, dude, that is such a downer. Why would you say that to somebody? Well, the truth is, is that it keeps us focused that our wives are their own person. Our wives have individual callings. They're individual people. Our job is really to be a trampoline for them, a springboard, so that they can be and do whoever God calls them to be. Don't get me wrong. We definitely trade in the me card for the we card. I'm not taking that away. But our wives are still unique individual people who have their own passions and desires, who are uniquely built to do very different things than you and I, Adrian. And so the fact that we're not going to be married in heaven, I think is a great reminder that they have individual callings here on earth. And our job is to make sure that they get there. So for me as an eight, right, that means like always using my snowplow to make a way for Joe. That was one of the biggest um, things that we learned together. I would even say in the last five years is that there had always been a little bit of tension between Joe and I. So keep in mind, if you're in Enneagram speak, Joe's a three and I'm an eight. These are the two types on the Enneagram that have the most energy. So that's why people are always like, oh my God, how do y'all get so much done? Or I can't believe you're doing this, whatever that is. The truth is, is like, this is the way we're wired. So there's all this energy in the room. And so my three wife for years had thought we're in competition with each other. Like I've got to keep up with Daryl. If I don't keep up with Daryl, if I take time down, you know, like I'm behind, I've got to keep up. And it was this view that we were in competition with each other. And we were living at the cottage at that time. So it was probably four years ago. And I remember coming to her, we just had a fight, which honestly at this point in our marriage is pretty rare. Like we disagree, we have conflict, but we don't fight anymore. And I came and I sat down on the steps beside her and I said, I just want you to know that we're not in competition with each other. Like I'm not competing with you. I see you as my team. Like you are always on my team and we're not like trying to outdo each other here. And it was this moment, dude, she stared at me, we locked eyes and she just started weeping. And from that moment on, we have had a different marriage in the sense of that we know that we're not competing. We're on the same team and it's us versus like the whole rest of the world, dude. That's it. Just us two versus anybody you can throw at us. And dude, my teammate's awesome. Like I've got a ride or die that is into, I've got, she's got cancer and she is still in it to win it, you know? So, or had cancer. That's, that's a important distinction. Had cancer. I think the requirement is if you can keep God at the center of that team. I think there are times when, or there's times for me specifically that I know I'm at my worst towards my wife when I'm often in a place of disobedience, pride, or selfishness, right? And so I can think of times when, hey, I wanted to buy this car. I wanted to relocate to this state, like literally, like huge things. Um, and it wasn't, it was coming from a place of my own um, selfishness or pride or disobedience. Like, and so it was an issue between me and God. It wasn't a me and Alicia thing. And I think in somewhere in her like wisdom, she could she didn't confront me directly. She kind of could pray for me. But I think for her, when you ask her, she would say this. She said she trusts the God in me because she knows that at the end of the day, crazy Adrian 
going to take his butt in that office or wherever he's going to go. He's going to wake up and he's going to spend time praying and trying to seek God's face on it and reading scripture. And at some point, God is going to knock him upside the head and he's going to come to me. And that's happened time and time again. And so and she'll watch me go way out there. I mean, literally, we are like, oh, yeah, we are moving like we are about to buy tickets to go like fly and scout houses or, hey, I'm at a car dealership. I'm test driving something. Right. And like and I can't say, you know, she didn't have white knuckles and she's like, oh, my gosh, like what's going on? But we can always come back to that place because we remember on the same team and we can put God at the center. So if it's a triangle, right, there's that God at the top and we're there. And I think that gives us um, this trust and this mutual respect where I know I don't have to control her or change her. I know that I can trust the God in her and that even if we go through something hard and difficult, we'll come out stronger. And I think that's the hallmark of us. And I see this in you guys, too. I'd love to hear what, what you would say that. When we go through um, difficulties or just trials, right, whether it's, you know, with families, whether it's, you know, the death of a family member, whether it's just a hard season at work or uncertainty or whatever it is with our kids, we often emerge better after the fire than we were before. And there's something about that where that's a God thing. I I don't think we can take credit for it. I, I think that's a God thing. If you were to let your selfishness take over, if you were to let your pride take over in those moments... You're going to make the wrong decision, period. But because you've proven yourself as a man of a man of faith, a man of integrity, she knows that she can trust that. And I think that's an important distinction to make, too, with our wives is consistency in that space is so, so important. So, you know, th- there's a lot of kind of, you would say, relational baggage around the word significance and security when it comes to marriages. You know, hey, a man's grace needs significance, a woman's grace needs security. And there can be baggage with that. But I do believe this, that if you are consistent as a husband, it creates security in your marriage. So AP, he's wild, he's fun, he's out there. He throws an idea against the wall and then he falls back into this space where he's saying, is this the best thing for us, for our family? And he didn't act in selfishness or pride, right? That's a consistent behavior. Alicia knows he'll fall back into that and it creates security. So what I would say is that for us, there was a book early on that we received when we had to go back through marriage counseling. If you remember a couple episodes, I shared that, you know, about year four in our marriage, man, everything hit the fan. Joe was in TV. I was in advertising. Our marriage was a mess. We were chasing after all the wrong things. And we literally had to get back together, reassess our life and go back through marriage counseling together. And it was pre-marriage counseling. We were in the room with a bunch of people that weren't even married yet. Man, you talk about feeling like a loser. And one of the books that came out of this was John Gottman's Why Marriages Succeed and Fail. I will tell you, again, just like the books we talked about last week, the cover is goofy, so don't judge it by its cover. The second thing is it is dry, It's like Ezekiel bread in the toaster. Like it is dry. But if you look up John Gottman, this is the guy that can predict divorce rates at 90%. You put 10 couples in a room and he can tell you with 90% accuracy who's getting divorced and who's not. 
Malcolm Gladwell joined him on this exercise one time in one of his marriage labs. Gladwell, as smart as he is, couldn't do better than 50%. John Gottman like has this like psychic ability and he broke down marriages. He said, Hey, there's different types of marriages. Like, and a lot of times like we think like, well, a marriage has to be like this or it has to look like this or these people have to interact like this for it to be long and lasting. And Gottman debunks that. He says, I think he says there are four types of marriages and I'll have to go back to that and find that out for sure. But basically there's, you know, what you would consider kind of like a codependent marriage. And then there's the marriage where people can have their own rooms and their own things. Um, and then there's the marriages where people fight all the time. Like think about like an Italian couple who's like always like loud and fighting, but they also make up really well. Right. So Gottman says none of that has to do with whether a marriage will succeed or fail. It comes down to the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And those are criticism, contempt. There's our word contempt, defensiveness and stonewalling. And those four things, as they kind of go up the scale, grow and grow into something so large that you end up getting divorced. So just back to your point of criticism early in the morning or at the budget meeting or whatever that is with Alicia, that can grow into contempt where you're looking at each other. And for some reason you feel this like contempt, like this like visceral reaction to the other person even being in the same room with you doing dishes. Like you don't even want that person around you. And what happens is, is that you go into this position of defensiveness. You enter into the argument or the debate and like you just put your anchors in the ground and you are defensive about that posture. And then before you know it, you don't want to talk anymore and you shut down and you start stonewalling. So that example right there just in a is like a microcosm of how it happens, but you do that over a period of time. And before you know it, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, you are going to get divorced. So back to the beginning of this conversation on this podcast, the advice of you need to marry a Christian is bad advice because it actually has nothing to do with whether your marriage is going to succeed or fail. The divorce rates in the Christian community are just as high as those who aren't. So it has nothing to do with that. Now, what I will say is, is that people that share the same worldview and the same value system, back to your point of the triangle, and are willing to be vulnerable and willing to try to be a better human, and they're willing to pray together, that's the important part, back to the vulnerability part. Their marriages will succeed because, back to your point of Alicia, they believe the best about their partner. They don't have contempt for their partner. They believe the best about their partner, and they believe that when Adrian falls back into that position, that reflective position in his office in the morning, and he's seeking the will of God in his life, he's going to say, you know what? This is not the right decision for my family, or this is the right decision for my family, but it's not a decision that's made out of selfishness and pride. It's good. Well, you'd be glad to know that one of the books I suggested was a John Gottman book. It's the seven principles of making marriage work. It's yeah, it's those four items. It's it's crazy that you mentioned that because it is dry, right? It's it's academic. He's testing in a lab, but I think when you strip away all the fantasy, the emotion, and the romance, or even the over spiritualization of things, because I think in church we can kind of say, you know, hey, God sent me my Boaz, and it's just gonna work, and we. We look at marriage as this miracle that God's gonna, you know, make happen for sixty years. Like, well, no, like, no, like you, like you were, you were off balance from the beginning. So I think um, that ability, I highly recommend his books because he does give you a, 
it's a clear point of view, fact-based. Like, all truth is God truth, right? I mean, the Bible's great, but, I mean, you got research. You don't, you don't ignore that. So being able to really peel back that and look at, you know, what's what's really important. I remember, so Alicia's uncle, uh, you've met him, Uncle Dave, uh, Dave Swift. Great guy. I mean, um, and he's a psychologist. I remember uh, he actually had us do the Enneagram before we got married. Uh, so before we got married, we did the Enneagram. And so he he kind of... You kind of gave us some, you know, some kind of light coaching on, hey, you guys got to be thinking about this, et cetera. But I remember him pulling me aside and say, hey, Adrian, let me tell you something. Guess the divorce rate for couples that pray together. I was like, huh? Yeah. So couples that pray together, what is their divorce rate? I was like, I don't know. He says zero. Oh, okay. Like, so the, just that act of being able to like, Humble yourselves, come together, even when you don't want to, because there are times you don't want to. And I'll confess, we don't. I mean, gosh, there are times I'm so mad at Alicia. I don't want to pray about it. Like, I, like God, I don't want to hear from you. Like, uh, I, I, I want to stay mad and angry. Like, so I'm, I'm not pretending that this is how we operate. Uh, but I am saying that I think that ability to kind of come back to what's true, what's important uh, is so, so critical. And I think for us, it was really key. To not try to emulate the marriage that we saw from our parents. Um, and even though, you know, my, my parents still together, you know, they've been married over 40, 40 years. Um, just build the marriage of the life that you desire and being able to take pieces of that. Of You know, you want to work or you don't want to work. You want to stay at home. You want to move like it doesn't matter. I think there's so many old tapes uh, that we inherit. Um, that are instilled into our operating system that we just never question. And I think now we have that opportunity to kind of unpack some of that. Man, that's so good. I watched you and Alicia and it just brings me joy. It was like you guys were uniquely built for each other and for your family. But I know it's not easy, right? Like even in this season where you're around each other every day, it's not easy. And you're having sex with the same person for the rest of your life. And you're also trying to pray together and run a family business together. And now you have a dog who's not going to walk itself and it's going to poop in your house and you're going to get a text about it pooping in your house, right? <laughs> and you've got to figure out how to respond in a loving and kind way, right? Like I'm telling you, dude, marriage is not easy, right? But I want to hear from you. What is the most rewarding thing about your marriage? I'd say for us and for me specifically, the most rewarding thing about marriage is knowing that I'm building something that has an eternal purpose. Right. And so God's original design for marriage was that it would be the literal manifestation of his kingdom, meaning like husband and wife submitted uh, the love they share, the intimacy, the the forgiveness. Right. And that it, it would become this almost this tiny little solar system that showcases the best of his blessings, his promises and and faith. And I think our our ability to to your point, like you won't be married in heaven, but to know that what we're building is propelling Alicia to her purpose is helping me be a stronger uh, leader, helping me to be a stronger a father, a, a better person. Like I think those things, and oftentimes, like I said, the struggles that I have in um, my marriage aren't actually between me and my wife at all. They're actually between me and God most of the time. Um, so, and for me, it's that just the fulfillment of having um, not only the partnership, but knowing that you're you're uniquely designed for this. And I think that's such a 
a critical piece. And I, I would say this, and I didn't think about this till you know a couple of years ago. We had a series at my church talking about you know the design of marriage. And I think at times though we do we so uh, over focus and hype marriage that singleness becomes taboo. And reality is like Jesus was single, right? I mean, he like a lot of the disciples were single, and, and so marriage is by no means an end all be all, right? Yeah. Let me add to that. Okay. Jesus was a single man of color. Yes. Who was murdered by law enforcement. But no, anyway. Uh, <laughs> another, that was a couple weeks ago episode. But no, I mean, that, I think that's us, man. It's the, the reality of knowing that, you know, we, we read the book, um, You and Me Forever by Francis Chan. We read it about four years ago. I remember it wrecked me. I haven't got over the book yet. I mean, this is the idea that you have a mission as a, as a family. You have a mission as an individual, Right. Independent of my wife or my kids, but our family unit together, we, we have a mission and it's, it's for more than just play dates and holiday cards where we look cute and for sending our kids to college and for, you know, coming over for the holidays. Like it's more than just the stuff that we that we focus on. And I think that that wrecked me because it made me really think about where am I spending my time, my effort, my energy. And so, um, yeah, that, that book is crazy. I wouldn't say I'd recommend it unless you're at a healthy spot in your marriage. Cause if you read a book like that and you're, and you're not in a healthy spot, it'll, it'll wreck you. But it, that's a book that it's hard to get it out of your head as many of Francis Chan's books are. 17 years later for me, I literally want to go sit at weddings. And when they get to the part of saying, Hey, does anybody object or does anybody have anything else to say or forever hold your peace? I want to jump up and I want to say, Hey, Let me add some things to those vows that you're taking right now, because, dude, those vows are so vague and so general. And the other thing is is that we see those vows as an old self. Like we don't see those vows as the next day. And so for Joe and I in this season of I will take you for better or worse in sickness and in health right? For richer, for poor. Those things have been so real. You know, Joe's been battling cancer now for over a year. And again, it's our belief that it's gone and that she is on the road to healing and she's finishing up these last couple of treatments now in radiation. But that for better or for worse thing, like you don't really have an idea of what that looks like until you face those things. And again, for most of us, we think that that's going to be when we're, you know, 60, 70, 80 years old into our marriage. But nobody told me that it was going to be at year 39. And so to watch my wife struggle through cancer and the treatment of cancer and while we've got two and three small children at home, like, dude, Nobody on my marriage day said, hey, you're going to have to do this. And so, man, when you go into this thing, you need, again, back to the very beginning of this thing, you need to be in a healthy space and marry a person that is healthy, that shares the same worldview. Because what happens is, is like when this stuff hits the fan, because it's going to hit the fan, you can recenter, refocus and say, more than anything, I am committed to you 
and helping you through this because there's something for you on the other side of this. Just like in our favorite movies, right? The character never ascends and then all of a sudden descends at the bottom and then comes back to where they were. To your point earlier, when the our key character comes back up that ascension, right? They go past where they were at previously. And that's my my faith and my belief right now for Joe is she's wrapping up you know whatever comes after quote unquote cancer for her is going to be better than she was in the beginning. And I can tell you this, like if you ask me, what do we think about the future for ourselves right now? Dude, we just relish every day. I think the biggest thing I've learned in my marriage, and this sounds super cheesy, is this that I'm grateful for every day I get to spend with her. I'm grateful for every moment. The I don't sweat the small stuff. If there's something that we argue about, I try to wrap it up as quickly as possible. Like it's not to say that we don't have conflict. We ha- we are two different people with two different brains. We're gonna have conflict, and we're strong personality types. But at the end of the day, like it's just not worth sweating the small stuff. So we get over it much quicker. And I think if I was to go back in time, I would say, hey, don't let a diagnosis or or somebody telling you that your wife is dying for you to get to that point. You need to have that perspective from day one. Because I will tell you this, in the first four years of our marriage, I don't think we had that perspective. We were chasing after everything else besides each other. And all of a sudden that bubble popped. And we wonder why that happened. But in the last, man, 12, 13 years of our marriage, we're just completely different people. Because back to your point, again, that triangle at the top of it, Shared worldview, shared values. Yeah, that's strong, man. And, and as you know, man, we've been praying for you guys like like nothing ever before. And I, I think you guys have been so uh, vulnerable and um, open with your story, but also uh, brave and, and bringing your community with you. You know, and I, I, I've appreciated the opportunity to um, to come alongside you guys. Um, and it's it's sounds crazy to say that we've drawn strength from you guys, right? Because obviously, you know, the the whole notion is that, hey, like we're supporting you and, you know, we're helping support. But there's something that happens, man, when like something about when you're caring for somebody else and then that's something that comes back. And so I I have to say, I mean, and and you know this, I mean, you guys are inspiring. Um, You guys are illuminating. You guys are giving people hope who aren't believers. You guys are giving people peace who don't have it in a way that's just weird because it's a it's a cancer diagnosis, right? So it's something that's that's hard and tough. And no, I've 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 really been grateful for uh, not only our friendship, but you guys being able to share um, and um, share that story, but also share the glory that we know is coming, man. So I, I I really thank you for that. Man, I appreciate that. I think the thing we're looking forward to in the future is Joe being whatever that is like active and healthy. And, but we're talking about that today. Like we're not guaranteed that either. And so, man, I'm, I'm in what, whatever the future looks like for her, I'm in. And, you know, is it what I would have wanted for us at this stage of our life? No, but I also do know that something stronger, more impactful, more powerful is coming up. And I believe that. And I hold to that. But yeah, has it been easy? Absolutely not. Would I have ever wanted to go through it? Absolutely not. But I can tell you this. There are people that in their first couple of years of marriage had to go through stuff like this. And um, 
So, man, you're not a, we're not alone in this. And it was not a surprise in any way to our Heavenly Father. And so we're going we're gonna to get through it. Whatever the future looks like, I'm in. I think that's such a powerful position and posture, not only for your heart, but to live that every day. And I think that's the call. The call to marriage is a call to submission and a call to be in second. It's a race to the bottom. And I think I've always, I always underestimated that going into marriage, growing up dating, but then even early in marriage, you know, the word submit or the word, yeah, put her first. I get it. But the reality of like, no matter what I'm in, I'm with you. I mean, that's, that's real. And I think any marriage that has lasted has gone through the fire, has gone through the refinement of, of those obstacles and those crucibles. And, and you you can put someone first. It's not about um, not about you. It's not a, a martyr syndrome. It really is. It's about putting that person um, where they belong in love and in kindness and patience and all these fruits of the spirits that for some reason, they don't all bloom at the same time. And every every couple of months, I have to renew and plant a new seed because I lose my patience or I lose my long suffering. And gosh, you know what? I, and I think marriage, too, is like this Rubik's Cube. Like, you don't really get it all the way right. You always got to go back and work on something. But I, I've been so grateful that Alicia has been such a patient partner along this journey. Um, patient with me because I am not the easiest person to be married to, but also patient with herself as you know as she evolves as well yeah i think that's the final point for me is that i wish somebody would have walked into that room when i was putting on my tux and said listen d the man that you are today is not the same person that you're going to be in 20 years and the same is true for your wife you guys will grow and evolve together. And I think giving each other the grace and the freedom to be able to do that, again, back to your triangle point, right? You always have that, that kind of North Star that you're kind of recentering yourself on. As you grow and change and evolve and learn, as you learn things, you're going to continue to become made new. Back to our, our point at the very beginning of this is that, man, there was no playbook. There was no playbook that said, hey, you know, if you do these things, you're going to have a successful marriage at 40. But looking back, I will make I will put my pin on this. I will tell you that to have a successful marriage, it takes a lack of pride. It takes um, hard work and it also takes the willingness to be completely vulnerable. And what that means is, is just saying like, hey, whether it's cleaning out drains from a, a surgery, whether that's saying I screwed up and we don't have any money in our bank account anymore, whether that is standing completely naked in front of the person that you love the most and said like, Hey, I am trying really hard and this is as good as it's going to get right now. Like those kind of moments are so vulnerable, but if you get to share them on a very deep and beautiful level, with a person that you are committed to for the rest of your life, man, it's a one of a kind journey. And I would go back and do it all again. That's the beauty of it, right? It's the, the beautiful struggle of all those pains and scars and scabs and the inelegant um, kind of pit stops. They end up, you look up and it becomes this wonderful tapestry of this love. And whether you're building a family with kids or whether you're building a community 
a faith-based community or building a career. It doesn't matter, but having somebody there to do that with, um, to, to lean on, to struggle with, uh, to fight with, to make up with, I think it just makes everything so much better. And I think, you know, we're, we're always better together. You know, a, a cord of, a cord of three strands is not easy to break. And having that, having that connection is so, so important. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm thankful for, for that as well. So, yeah, so I guess wrapping up. So we're, we are letting go of some really good things. The bad advice that, hey, you should marry a Christian or, hey, don't have sex before marriage. Right. Because it's bad advice because it's incomplete. It's, it, it's incomplete advice masquerading as the truth. Sometimes that can be even more harmful than. Man, let's say that one more time. It's incomplete advice masquerading as the truth masquerading as the truth that is dangerous and i think there's a lot of that going around in our marriages and i think more couples should be more honest about some of those struggles so i think letting go of that is key um for sure and then learning right i think we're both learning you know to put them first uh i love what you said about um whatever the future looks like i'm in like kind of sums it up I love that, man. And then we're leading our family um, into what's next, right? Into, remember, hey, we won't be married, won't necessarily be married in heaven, but we're leading to a place where they will be fulfilled and they have a, a obviously a calling independent of our marriage, but we want to support that um, and be the husbands we're called to be in service through sickness and in health, um, which is which is a reality. Yeah, and I'll leave you with this Bonhoeffer quote. So it's known that Bonhoeffer was performing a wedding, and he told the young couple that you think today that your love will sustain your marriage. And I'm here to tell you that that is wrong, that your marriage will sustain your love. And what he's saying by that is that it's the day in, day out exercise of all the things that we just talked about consistency, sacrifice, vulnerability. That's what marriage is. And that is what keeps you in love with someone. Man, we we both started out totally in love with our wives, right? Probably physically more than anything. And that love has evolved into like this deep, rich, beautiful thing. And if I could do it all over again, I wouldn't change a thing. It's a beautiful thing, man. Ditto here, man. No, that's great. This is beautiful. I hope... This has been helpful to our, our listeners. We'd love to hear comments and feedback on, hey, what do you agree with? What was helpful? Hey, call us out. What do you disagree with? What do you challenge? Uh, we want to hear from you guys. We don't have it all figured out, but we're um, totally open and sharing, you know, I think um, transparently about some of the things that we've learned and some of the bad advice we let go. But we'd love to hear from you as we prepare for future sessions because marriage can go a number of different ways and i'm pretty sure we're gonna have more to talk about soon and next week we're gonna find out if adrian's marriage can survive a dog dun 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 we'll see (laughs) stay tuned hey guys this is dc and this was the unfollowed podcast we hope you like what you heard today And if you didn't, that's okay. There's 100,000 other podcasts you can choose to subscribe to. But if you like this one, do us a favor and subscribe or share it with a friend.